Hey there, my name is Jacinta, and I'm one of the pastors here at HTBB. A couple of weeks ago, my husband Abel and I went on our first family holiday with our 10-month-old Levi. And there we were, first-time parents going away for the first time. And so if I'm honest, we were a little nervous. It was going to be a three-hour car drive. And so we knew that in order for it to be the most optimal car ride, we needed to maximize Levi's wake time. We had to plan everything right down to the very minute. And so we had planned that he would wake up at exactly 6.25 a.m. You know, by that time, Abel and I would be dressed, we would have showered, the car would be loaded at that time, and then we'd get ready, uh, Levi, and then we would leave by exactly exactly 7 or 2 a.m. And we all know to have the most optimal car ride, we need to have optimal car ride snacks. One of Abel's favorite snacks is these pack of potato chips. And we thought, you know, they'd be really expensive at the hotel, so we decided to bring them along. Now, armed with Levi's bottles to his stroller to Abel's bag of potato chips, uh, we were ready. So we were on our way to the hotel. Now, despite being really prepared, we didn't realize how uh, opening up one of these bags of chips and then putting one of these chips into our mouth would possibly wake up a sleeping baby. So every time we decided to take a break and to have a snack, we decided, mm, we're not going to bother. So this bag of chips followed us everywhere we went on our holiday, as you can tell from this photo. Now, as we were getting ready to check out of the hotel on our very last day, I realized that we have these bags of chips. Uh, so I grabbed them along with all of our bags. And then as I was closing the door and leaving our room, I looked up and I saw three hungry monkeys coming right at this bag of chips. And so everything happened right after this, happened in slow motion. I grabbed these bag of chips. I throw them as far as I could. And then the monkey saw the bag of chips, darted right across to get the bag of chips. The mummy monkey opened the bag of chips victoriously, took out a chip and gave it to baby monkey. And I heave a sigh of relief. You know, despite feeling so prepared at the start of this trip, I left feeling really paralyzed instead. I was triggered by my deep fear of monkeys. Abel, my frugal Chinese husband, on the other hand, was triggered by the fact that we just wasted a good pack of chips on monkeys. When was the last time you felt triggered? Was it when you were driving and someone overtook you? Was it when your housemate dropped some dirty socks on the floor? Or when you read about an act of injustice in the news? Feeling triggered has led to memes and to movements. An urban dictionary describes feeling triggered as an emotional or psychological reaction caused by something that somehow relates to an upsetting time or circumstance in someone's life. It's a pretty common phrase that we've been using for a couple of years now, but it describes deeply a human reaction that's been around for centuries. There's something inside of us that reacts every time we see something that's not right or unjust for other people of ourselves. And I do want to say right off the bat that there are valid emotional triggers, triggers that have to do with past trauma or difficulties. So if you're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, depressed, or are in a prolonged distress mental state, please do talk to someone. Please do reach out to someone. You know, we've got many people here in our church community who would love to come alongside you and support you. We also have a team of online pastors that would love to pray for you. You can request prayer at any point throughout this service. 
But today, I want to talk about a different kind of trigger, the kind of trigger that doesn't have to be trusted and might not even be of God. Scripture says God is a God with feelings. And as much as our feelings are valid, they don't always have to be trusted. They might even pull us away from the kind of person that God is calling us to be. It's not the kind of trigger that I mentioned earlier or has been diagnosed, but it's the kind of trigger that we all feel and face every day through our small moments of injustices and interruptions. But sometimes God's greatest invitations come through life's little interruptions. And so if you're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, distracted, it might be that God is extending an invite to you. Today, we read about someone who was interrupted by God, and then they were triggered, but ultimately, they were offered hope. Let's read together from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Do you sometimes feel easily triggered? like a battle is going on in your mind. You know, your mind is your greatest asset, and so it's not surprising that it often becomes a place of battle. Today, I want to talk about how do we manage our mind in an age of being triggered. The passage we just read is just five verses, and, and though it's short, I can relate to it on multiple levels. You see, I have three sisters, and in this passage, we read about how there were surprise guests. There was frenzied activity, and there was a squabble between two sisters. So it sounds like this could be a scene from my family home during Chinese New Year. And you might connect with either one of these two sisters. And I'm curious, how many of you here relate to Mary? You can type it out in the online chat. Well, if you're Mary, we want to say thank you. You're probably responsible for filling all the 3 a.m. slots during 24-7 prayer week. And then there's Martha. How many of you here connect with Martha? You know, Martha is practical, she's hospitable, she's very kiasu, definitely Asian. Her love language is probably cut fruit. So Martha is known as the busy one, while Mary is known as the holy one. And although you might have chosen one over the other, it's quite likely that we're either Mary or Martha at different times. Sometimes we sit with Jesus like Mary, and sometimes we serve Him like Martha. When Jesus said to Martha that Mary chose what is better, He wasn't saying that Mary was a better person. He was addressing Martha's attitude. And I want to suggest that there are two ways we can manage our minds in an age of being triggered, and they involve the heart and the mind. Firstly, it's a matter of the heart. This includes prioritizing our attitude over our activity. Now, before we start to criticize Martha, let me just say that there's nothing wrong about being busy. This passage isn't about that. Poor old Martha has become kind of like the poster girl for everything that's wrong with a busy and distracted life. Actually, the medieval church called Martha's active life permissible, but 
inferior to the perfect life of contemplation in the monastery. So poor Martha has suffered a bad rap for centuries. But if you're educated or have a job or take care of a family, you're quite likely to feel busy. A Gallup poll from a few years ago found that the more educated a working adult is, the more likely they are to report feeling busy. But having a job and education and a family are not bad things. So Jesus wasn't scolding Martha for simply being busy. Martha was being the responsible adult, taking care of her guests and making sure that they were served. So it's helpful to understand this, but it's also helpful to understand the context that they were in. We know uh, that the story takes place in Bethany, which is 1,500 feet above sea level. It's about four months before the crucifixion of Christ. It's during the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, and it's December and cold. So by the time Jesus and his disciples arrive at Martha's house, they were probably hungry and cold. So they were ready for some food. And we're also told that Martha was the homeowner. And it's pretty embarrassing for the host to not have anything to serve their guests, right? even if they showed up last minute. So here was Martha with the huge responsibility of serving Jesus and his closest friends. So you would expect Jesus to be super grateful that Martha was serving him, right? It would be consistent with his teachings and with his character. You know, all across the New Testament, we read that Jesus told his disciples to love in practical ways. We read in the Gospel of John, Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, when you fed a hungry person or looked after a sick person or clothed someone in need of clothes, whatever you did for one of them, you did for me. So when Jesus first walked in, there was no grumbling. Martha welcomed him with open arms. But somewhere between the welcome and the work, Martha's attitude began to change. What happened? We read in verse 40, Martha says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And I wonder if you've ever felt this way before. Martha is triggered by the fact that Mary is just sitting there while Martha is running around, busy, making, it, making sure that her guests are taken care of. She's probably making coffee, cutting fruit, serving the biscuits, taking out the napkins. So she then approaches Jesus. And my mental image of Martha is a little bit like this. Have you invaded my space? It's a problem, sis. Never been a troublemaker. But she tried it. Y'all, when I go home, my teacher told my mom. Y'all mean double trouble? Absurd. How much sass does this girl have? In the original Greek, it says that Martha walks right up to Jesus boldly. In an assertive way, she looks him straight in the face and like a feisty five-year-old armed with a makeup brush. Martha expected Jesus to give a positive response that showed that he was on her side. But instead, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Jesus doesn't soothe her or sympathize with her. He doesn't let her boast about her busyness. He doesn't even acknowledge her activity, but he does address the posture of her heart. Martha was the host. And scholars tell us that a key theme in the Gospel of Luke is hospitality. So I think Luke is pointing out not so much that Martha was hosting Jesus, but how. 
Jesus was saying, before you host me with your hands, would you host me in your heart? Before you busy yourself with activity, begin by listening to me. The key to managing our mind is to first humble our heart. So it's about prioritizing attitude over activity. The second thing is about our mind. We must take hold of truth over our feelings. Martha's question to Jesus has three strong words, don't you care? This passage itself has quite a few feelings words. In verse 40, it says that Martha was distracted. It then says she said Jesus doesn't care. And then later on, when it was Jesus' turn to respond, he says that Martha was worried and upset. And while Martha's exasperation is expressed through her emotions, it had actually started in her mind. It's been said that you are not what you think you are, but what you think that you are. The mind is an extraordinary thing, and it's an incredibly precious and powerful gift given by God. It's so powerful that if you can control it, it becomes your greatest friend. But if it controls you, it becomes your greatest enemy. We know that the mind sometimes plays tricks on us. We see it in optical illusions, in these images. Even though they don't look it, the two yellow lines look the same, are actually the same length. The two orange circles are the same size. So we see it in this short video. And I'd love for you to count how many times a player is wearing white past the ball. Okay? Count how many times a player is wearing white past the ball. So you see two basketballs and the players are wearing white and they pass the ball. There are some players wearing black and I don't want you to focus on them. Focus on the players wearing white passing the ball. So you see them. Make sure you've got your number, okay? Keep counting. Keep going. Keep counting. The players wearing white are passing the ball. Yep, let's go. Keep going. Keep counting. Yep. Go ahead and keep counting. Do you have the number? You should have the number by now. Now, the correct answer is 16 passes. But did you spot the gorilla? Now, if you didn't spot the gorilla, it might be that you've never watched this video before. Few people who have seen or heard this video before have noticed the gorilla. But if, even if you have noticed the gorilla, did you see the colors of the curtain changing? Or did you see the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and let's watch the video again. Okay, we're rewinding the video. Now, do you see that the curtain is red? And now the curtain's changing to gold. And did you just see the player wearing black leaving the game? There we go. What if a belief that your mind is fixed on is causing you to lose sight of everything that's going on around you? That you miss out on what God is inviting you to? It might be a false idea that you believe about yourself or about your family or your background and it's holding you back from who God is calling you to be. You know, our mind is extremely powerful. It's our greatest asset. And so it's not surprising that the battle goes on in our mind. So don't be surprised by the struggle. And you know, just because you think a thought, it doesn't have to be true. Why? Well, first of all, we are humans. And as humans, our minds are sometimes a little rebellious. Like when I need to focus, I often get distracted. When I need to pray, my thoughts float away. We know that we have blind spots. Some of us have bald spots, but all of us have blind spots. 
We also live in a broken world and we're surrounded every day by advertisements that say you need to buy the perfect car or to buy the perfect house so you can have the perfect life. And then there's the enemy, the father of lies, who prowls around wanting you to question God. But the antidote to all of this is that we need to question our thoughts instead. Scripture tells us that our thoughts can be obedient to Christ. All we need to do is to catch our thoughts and then bring them to Christ. So when a thought enters your mind, maybe it's a word that's been spoken over you by a family member or a friend or a teacher or someone in authority over you. What you can do is to take hold of that thought, bring it before God and test it against His character and what He says about you. But I'm never going to be good enough. Well, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work. But my past failures define who I am. Isaiah 1.18 says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But if people really knew me, they wouldn't be friends with me. John 15.15, Jesus says, no longer have I called you servants, I now call you friends. But they have a bigger majority than me. Well, I'm not sure about this one. When we are triggered, both our feelings and our thoughts are involved. Martha felt upset because she thought that Mary wasn't helping her. But the thought behind this is that she felt like Jesus didn't care. Somehow she had come to believe that Jesus didn't care about her. And we have beliefs about ourselves like that, don't we? It starts as a thought and the first time you're like, this is so silly, it can't be true. I'm not going to think about it. But then the thought comes back again and it comes back again and again. And at some point, you might be like, well, there's some truth to this thought. And that's when it sticks and a thought becomes a belief. Sometimes we call it a stronghold. It's why cognitive biases exist, like the confirmation bias, when we are more likely to favor an idea that confirms an existing belief. Or the spotlight effect, when we think that everyone is watching us, when actually they're more likely thinking about themselves. But scripture tells us that Jesus not caring about Martha couldn't be further from the truth. You see, Jesus calls Martha's name twice. He says, Martha, Martha. And every time God calls someone twice, and this only happens eight times in the Bible, by the way, it means he has something really important to say. Sometimes it means that he wants to elevate them to a higher position. You see, this story took place in first century where women would often be seen as secondary. This meant that they were never allowed to sit among men to learn from the teachers and the scholars of the day. So here, Jesus was not only acting in a countercultural way by speaking with a woman, in a context where only men could learn from Jesus, Jesus was saying to Martha, come and sit with me. Come and learn from me. I care for you so much that you can cast your cares on me. Later on in the New Testament, Paul writes to the Philippian church about their worries and their cares. And it's almost as if he was writing to Martha. It says in verse 10 of the message version in chapter 1, You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Paul is saying that the way to manage your mind is to, first of all, use it. Harsh. 
but also to renew it, to strengthen it, to take every thought captive to Christ, to test your feelings against how God thinks and feels about you. And in case you didn't know, God loves you. But get this, if we go up a few verses to verse 3, what does Paul say? Each exclamation of thanksgiving to God is a trigger to prayer. What if each time we were triggered, we were triggered instead to pray, to worship, to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to Him, to reach out to community, to reach out to a friend. Jesus is inviting us to a life of flourishing with Him. Let's invite Him into the living rooms of our minds and our hearts, and let's begin by listening to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you care about the state of our minds and our hearts. And so we give them to you right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill us afresh. Fill us with your truth. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and let's wait a moment and wait on the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now.